you want to get richer, you make sure that you have the diversity of the end user in the room when you're making those decisions so that you don't have something that's accommodating to one market. I'm a fan of accountability culture. More than 50% of men feel uncomfortable having one-to-one -one with females and having female subordinates. It's not that we are sitting there being like, you as a man are the problem. I don't agree with that. It's not men are the problem, it's the systems that's the problem. Let's not generalize and be like, you are the issue. It's not, right? It's systems the issue. How can you be an advocate? So the thing that fuels me is disrespect. Diversity inclusion is about disrespect. That's all it is. Why are we disrespecting people and their versions of their best selves? Why are we not creating a space in which they can thrive as the version of their chosen best selves? Which I did, um, statistically. It's 
not like it was actually the worst school. Actually, it only had a 27% pass rate in GCSEs, right? That's how terrible it was. But you work hard and you come out the other side. I found myself at a very prestige university, great. And I remember coming out of it being like, I don't know what to do, but when I say the university I went to, I had people clapping. And I was like, that's really weird. Like, why would you clap, you know, for a university that I went to? But I realized that it enabled your access points. I then went into the world of work, and turns out the companies that want a diverse and ambitious and courageous brown woman, because it ticks those boxes, they don't actually want it when you get into the system. They just want it during the interview round. And then when you get in, they're like, you know what? It's great that that's the idea you have, that this is the way that we want you to act, you want you to believe. And back then, I also didn't know that I was neurodivergent. And so, many of you that I've spoken to, they know that I don't have a focus face. Um, I might not like something will come up on my face. And I guess I just wasn't able to conform to the system in a way that suited them, but also suited me. And so in 2018, I felt <coughs> like I was being let go from the workplace. Um, but I didn't quite know what that meant. But I remember when it happened, they messaged me on a Friday and were like, do you want to go for coffee and croissant? I was like, absolutely. Like, a complete, you know, I'm a complete foodie and a freebie person, so I'm like, free coffee and croissant, I will take it. And I got there and I'm like, what do you want? I was like, well, because the business is paying, it's going to be the most expensive thing, okay? So I was like, the most expensive croissant, the most expensive coffee, I sat down, I thought we were having a good chat, and they put, like, a contract in front of me. They were like, well, do you know what? This is great, but we don't really want you back on Monday. I was like, what do you mean? I'm going away on annual leave. Like, of course I'm not here on Monday. They're like, no, 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 no. We don't kind of want you back after annual leave, but you can't tell anyone. And that's the first time that happened to me. And I was like, you know what, it's fine. It's a misalignment of skills, not an issue. Then I went into another company and I negotiated about 20k pay rise. So I was like, you know what, I've got, I've made money out of this. I've made money from being fired, best thing. Great way to make money. And I got into my second um, placement in 2019, and this was around the same time that I was starting LMF Network, which at that point was just a brunch club, right? I felt like a bit of a loner in the workspace. I had no friends, I didn't know my network, I didn't have a community group like this. And I just thought, what do people like? Avocado and toast? I do as well. Let's come together for avocado and toast. It's literally how the idea started. But during the same time, and funny enough, nobody even showed up, right, in the first few brunches, but we can talk about that another time. In, in 2019, you know, they'd get my name wrong for six weeks. Like, my name is Sonia, it's not really hard. It's not short for anything. But I started dying myself, so I'd go home to my mum being like, is my name short for something? Like, should I, is it Sonia? I went to a client meeting and had nothing for me to eat. And then they made fun of it afterwards, and I was like, that's really weird, because, you know, food is like a basic human necessity. And then generally the vibe was off. So when I got let go from that workspace, it wasn't like the first time. This time I knew my rights. And after about six weeks worth of like, honestly, depression and sadness and just feeling sorry for myself because that's what you do in that circumstance, I thought, I want to make it three out of three. And I realized, wait, hold on, these are the same companies that outwardly want to be inclusive, that they want to make you feel like you belong. You want to be, they're like, show your authentic self at work. I come as my authentic self, you don't like it. So I've got to come as my work self, not my home self. It's completely different. And so I kind of woke up one day, I kid you not, and I was like, I can see the gap, and I think I'm wild enough and brave enough to actually go and figure out that gap. And so I went to my family and my loved one, and I was like, you know what, I know that the circumstances are different, but let's just give myself a shot. And I kid you not, I gave myself a shot, and my first two clients were King, the founders of Candy Brush, 
and PwC. So at that point, I'm thinking, I've made it, I'm an entrepreneur, like that's easy money. And I got no money for six, six months. Then the pandemic hit. And that lit even more, you know, butterflies inside of me. Because I was like, well, actually, the pandemic showed us that not everyone had equal access to Wi-Fi, to laptops, to food, to water, to location, to storage, to access points of any kind, especially young professionals. So the LMF network went from a branch club to a business. We converted to a social enterprise and launched a mentoring program. I just hustled. I had no social media before that, before 2020. So I jumped on LinkedIn, I jumped on Instagram, and I just started posting. And then somewhere in that kind of mashup, a publisher came to me and was like, do you want to write a book? And I was like, yeah, I think I do. Not knowing that I was actually going to get the book deal. So I got a book deal, so I wrote a book. And then I was still writing LMF, I was writing my book. My book was about to be published, and I thought, you know what, I really want to do, I want to be a doctor. So I started applying for a PhD. And this is really how my brain works. So this, I was like, what's the worst that can happen if I apply for it? Oh, I apply for it, it's fine. So I found this scholarship in Ireland. I live in London, right? I've never been to Ireland. And I was like, what? Three years in Ireland? Not a really. I can do that, it's fine. Worked out the planes and costs. I genuinely was um, applying for my PhD. My book had just been given to the publisher as final edit, and the BBC came calling. And they said, We've seen a few things we're doing online, we'd love to get you to host the show. And I was like, okay, I'll interview for it, but it's not like you're going to give it to me. So on a Friday, I got rejected from my PhD at 12 pm, and I got the BBC at 3 pm. So I went from doctor to presenter really quickly. <laughs> right? And my mom still wants a doctor in the household. I'm like, I will get you that title. It's not the kind of doctor that you're looking for, but we'll get there. And then honestly, the rest of it is I'm really good at failing, I have a TED talk on it. I'm a big spirit in what's the worst that can happen if you try it? Actually, you get rejected or you fail, what someone says no, that's fine, you've given yourself a chance. You focus on what's achievable, and it goes back to the inclusion aspect of, I'm not trying to do anyone's role model. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create access points to say, look, if I can do it based on my story, you can do it too, and here's the toolbook, here's the toolkit, here's the book, here's the brand, here's the content you need to go out and get there. Because basically, fundamentally, what I don't want to do is I don't want to be a gatekeeper. And I think that's just a somewhat brief summary. <coughs> <laughs> 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 so, uh, but you mentioned about failures. I mean, my name was Ruth Fail, Gail Fail. You know, I have them all the time. And we have them in sport all the time. You know, people assume that sports people just win over and over again. We don't. We lose over and over again. And that's how you learn. You learn from what we, I say losing is learning, it's not failing. And I think that's what's really apparent with you. You have got that insane attitude of what's the worst going to happen? What's next? Was there any at one point, you did mention a little bit where you just, you mentioned a little bit the six weeks of, oh my goodness. Was there any point that you, it hurt so much that you, you turned into bad acts, like Kit Kats? Was there any point that you just thought, that is never Currently happening. Oh, right, okay. So I came in and I was like to Vicky, I'm really pissed off, and she's like, why? I'm like, do you know what? I'm just agitated. And I go, the problem is that when I get agitated, it fuels me. Mm. And you know, people to watch Dragon Ball Z, and like a character that comes out, you know, like in rage and the fire everywhere, like I'm one step away from that. I'm like one step away from that. But I think the point is, is I'm an entrepreneur by nature, I'm also neurodivergent, I'm also a woman, I'm also all these great labels that people have put on me. But actually just what I am is someone who's a risk taker and it's completely okay to me. But what I don't like is disrespect. 
So the thing that heals me is disrespect. Diversity inclusion is about disrespect. That's all it is. It's not about these funky buzz terms. It's not about these like awards or these ceremonies. It's why are we disrespecting people and their versions of their best selves? Why are we not creating a space in which they can thrive as the version of their chosen best selves? There is no such thing as you and I are the same, right? So the moment that really got me, probably one moment was I failed probation in my first job. Listen, no one told me you could fail probation, right? I didn't even know that it was possible. But within three months, you failed probation. That was my first failure. The second failure was when you got fired the first time. I didn't know you could get fired from work because actually, I paid forty thousand pounds for my degree. Did anyone mention in a business degree that you can get fired from work? They did not. That was a module that left off all scripts. The third time, when I got let go from my second workplace in 2019, it was yes a blessing in disguise, but it really it ruined me. For six weeks, I'm you can tell I I can talk. You know, I talk for a living. I'm confident. I started stuttering. I've never started in my life. I was on all different types of painkillers and funky like magical pills that I didn't even know existed. To the point where my sister-in-law came home and she was like, you can't take this anymore. I don't remember six weeks of my life, I blacked out, right? I couldn't, I went to, um, I went to Costco with my mom and my little brother and I couldn't find him and I just started crying. It started burst out in tears. And you felt alone and you felt isolated and you felt like you didn't have the power. And the reason I do what I do now is because I want to reclaim my power and I want to make sure that anything I do is in my control to some extent. And so I, I create my own life, my own calendar, because I don't want anyone to make me feel so small and so incapable. And it's like, who are you? You're any person. And yet I took it so seriously what they did that I took it personally. It wasn't, it was professional, right? But after six weeks of Genuinely, all I, remember, I don't remember anything, if I'm really honest with you, I don't know, I blacked out. And I have very small, vivid, like, memory moments. You don't want to be in a place where you don't remember six weeks of your life because someone made you feel a certain way, right? So everything I do is about not just reclaiming my power, but showing you that this is my version of me. Okay, let me build your skills so you can reclaim your power. And I think that's the best thing about not only the work I do, but also the community here. Right? We're not saying be different. We're saying actually if you're different, that's what we want because that's how you come together and you complement one another. Yeah. You said it perfectly there about why would you not want the best people to be their best selves in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you know, uh, I would say a happy athlete is the best athlete because they can be their true authentic self. So why don't we do that in the, in the workplace? So when you do go into a company or business, um, do you call yourself the diversity and inclusion strategist? Would, would that be fair to say? Just depends how much money they got. Okay. <laughs> Depending on what the money is there, it depends on what your title comes up. But I think yeah. simply I call myself a coach. Okay. One, because I think an expert is one of those like fluffy terms that no one is really an expert because you can't know about everything, right? So there's certain topics they don't know about and I'm willing to learn, but I'm not an expert in that space. A coach is someone who facilitates, who guides, who gives you the toolkit, the tools, the resources, the materials that you need, and then says, you know what, I'm going to give you three months, six months, no more than 12 months worth of support, and you're going to go and figure out yourself, and when you need me, you're going to come back. Strategist also, yes, to some extent, but again, you use the word strategy when you're working with companies like consultancies, because that's the terminology they use. So the terminology changes depending on who your client is, because that's how you tap into their business. So one thing I'm getting better at is speaking other people's language, right? So, uh, and I think that's really important when you're business 
what been the biggest challenges when you've gone into a company? Is it, uh, in my head, I, uh, just, you know, you mentioned before, like it's, it's always worked this way, so why do we need to change anything? Huh. Like, I'm guessing that would be the biggest one. So that's called status quo bias, right? Status quo bias is, is we're doing what we do, we're making money, yes, we care, but we don't care enough, do this. So I actually had a client last year, a crypto company, who came to me in August 2021, signed off 10K working services, okay? I did 40% of their work because they said that they were going to a funding round in 2022 and they'd give me the money in January. When I went and asked them for the money, I got an email saying we no longer need your services. That's the first thing that happens when you're in the workplace. The second thing is you then fight and you say, you do need my services and also contractually you're obliged by email, right, to pay me. Then the second point was, yes, we'll give you the money, but we'll do it in September. Okay, we went and executed in September, did a whole thing at the back of it. So that's the second thing is, they do bring you in to do the work. The third thing was, you know what, this is great, but DNA is not a priority for us anymore, so we're no longer going to go forward. That's what happens. So businesses want to do good work. They don't know how to. They bring in people to support them. And then after supporting them, they say, well, actually, we're going to tell everyone in the world that we've done this. But then we're not actually going to do the work otherwise because we were making money with or without you. There's status quo bias, there's projection bias. So you think that because someone does A, B, and C, they'll be great at D. And then apart from that, there is genuine gender age bias, right? I went to a conference last week, a three-day conference where I was the keynote, the keynote. The first day I was wearing a yellow suit. You could see me, you knew I was there, I made sure. The second day I came in in a hoodie with merch, right? I made a lot of that, like merchandise hoodie and trainers. Three people within the first hour came to me and said, you don't look that professional today. You don't look that serious, you don't look like a businesswoman. And I was, my conference line was right at the beginning, uh, right at the entrance. I got dismissed the whole way through. I went and put on a blazer. People started coming to me. I went and put on heels. People took me seriously. And I even had a man come and tap me on the shoulder and be like, see, you look a lot more professional now that you're wearing a blazer and heels. That's what happens in companies, is they think you're too young, or you're too fun. Or actually, some you, you do a lot online. So how can you actually take the DNA stuff seriously? I get um, usually males, you know, cause when you think of sport, you think of men. So, oh gosh, God, this is some sports girl. You know, and straight away, that is, you know, why would a girl tell me what to do and how I can make my, my work life better or anything? So, it is frustrating. But how do you how do you win them over? You know, obviously, you've got those that's the data. The data? Okay. So more like companies that are more diverse can increase profits by a minimum of 13%. Mm-hmm. Companies that are more diverse can increase productivity by 30%. You can increase innovation in your business by six times what you already have. And also, if you think about who is the largest group of individuals who have the purchasing power, they're women. That's just across the board, right? Your mothers, your guardians, your aunties, they're the ones who hold the budget in the household. So ultimately, we want to be creating products because we run businesses, we want to make money, we want to sell for women because they're the ones who are actually going to understand what is being sold. And they're also the ones who are buying the products for the males in the household. So we're going to generalize it really simply for women. I'm not offending anyone otherwise, I'm sorry, I'm just making it really kind of simple in terms. Women buy things for men, right? Mm-hmm. If a man buys something for a woman, normally he's going to go for another woman. 
and he's going to be like, what do I buy? Or he's going to go to the shopkeeper, or he's going to go to the customer assistant, or he's going to really have to know you over time for him to really get it right, right? And that's fine. But ultimately, that's what businesses are getting wrong. If you want to get richer, you make sure that you have the diversity of the end user in the room when you're making those decisions so that you don't have something that is accommodating to one market. So you use data, everything is data. And that's what I come back to is, yes, there's frustrations. I know that, but this is the challenge that I like. I love when someone says no to me because I know it's not a no, I know it's not right now. And then I will prove to you that it should have been a then, right? Because that fuels me. Because that's cool, I'm a problem solver. I like a challenge, I like to be disruptive. I think the point is, is that, especially as kids, if we own up to our skill sets, which is my skill set, you can flourish. But what tends to happen through an educational level is there's a linear route, this is the only route we know, and then the same in the workspace. But if we give people the mobility to be like, Sonia, you're a great communicator, and actually you're not scared of going and speaking to 100 people, which I'm not, right? You know what, we're gonna do a big presentation in the workplace, we want you to go and lead it, but practice beforehand, Put your best people forward and they will make your help your business thrive because you are giving them the love support and the loyalty that they deserve. But if you are always, you know, trying to, what's that saying where someone's round and there's like a square and they're trying to like mold them? I'm not really good at saying That's where it's going to become problematic. So it's the data. So if anyone's here being thinking, how do I put a business case for the work I want to do, bring data into it. Think about the money it's gonna make, the innovation it's gonna break, the changes it's gonna create, but also just think about the level of efficiency and productivity that it's gonna help in the business. And you know what, a lot of the times, junior staff members understand that, middle managers need a bit more support, they need a business case to support them to take the senior leadership. The senior leadership, if you think about like the color diagram, right? Red is someone who's super competitive and results driven, and then blue is someone who's more analytical and strategic. The senior you get, the more you become a blue and a red. So you have to speak their language. And that's what I came back to before is inclusion is just being able to converse in a language that suits them and they, they understand. And you have to adapt that depending on who's in the room. I'm just going to talk briefly on this bit about companies that are resistant. And how do you how do you explain to them, other than data, you know, how do you as a coach, you know, the soft skills, how do we say to these companies that are just they know they have to do it, they don't really understand why. How do you really, you know, that, that magic wand and keep it, that sustainability in there? I think it's a great question. So there's a couple of avenues. One is you invite them to like a freebie type workshop to get them into the work that you're doing. So a good example is we do really good workshops around imposter syndrome and confidence or failure negotiation skills. We'll invite a bunch of people from the workplace for free just so that we can start sharing their knowledge and getting a bit of advocacy. The second is, if they're not replying back to you, you have a bunch of articles, you push it their way and be like, hey, X person, this is what we wrote recently, have you seen it? The third is that when you go into their business, you listen. Listening is such an underrated skill, and actually something that I'm learning, right? I'm not the best listener in the world, I love to talk, but I'm learning. But the way I listen is I'll say something like, prior to doing this, we're gonna send a really short anonymous survey to your people. It takes no more than five minutes. We send that survey around, we have about you know, 70% kind of uptake. We then use that information only to guide what's being done, but also we take it back into the workforce to be like, hey, CEO, you thought this was a problem, but actually this is what your people need, and this is the way that we think we can implement it. And after this, we give them testimonials and use cases. 
There's nothing like saying, I was successful with somebody else here. Right? The frustrations then come is when you go beyond your scope of work, is when you're working longer hours than you should, it's when you're basically their puppet, right? Or, and they're not taking you seriously. And at that point, I'm going to be really honest with you, you have to know when to leave a company. For anyone in the room who's running a business or thinking about running a business, it's okay to say, no, I no longer want to work for you because you don't serve my energy. And it's really important to have those boundaries. You won't have it in your first year, you won't have it in your second year, but I have it in my third year because I've done a damn lot, right? And so I'm like, I know what I know, I also know what I don't know. But actually, the way that I'm being treated goes back to you're being disrespectful and it's costing me more time, effort, and energy to keep my mental peace. And we're in May, right? So we're talking about mental health as well versus the income. Absolutely agree. I mean, the stuff that when I go into businesses, it is about, it's usually breaking that ego down very much. You know, lots of the stuff, you know, many people stuck in their own, you know, that scared change, and it's just ego. And once you break that down, then you just see that wonderful human nature, I guess. It's human. And something just seems, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'd say it's ego, but I'd also say it's trends, and I I also say it's council culture. I'm not a fan of council culture. I think council culture regresses. I'm a fan of accountability culture. So a good example being as a result of the Me Too movement, more than 50% of men feel uncomfortable having one-to-one with females and having females supporting them. That is because of council culture. Now, it's not that we are sitting there being like, you as a man are a problem. I don't agree with that. If anything, I hate to man that Because I'm like, systematically, that doesn't make sense. It's not men are the problem, it's the systems that's the problem. Let's not generalize it be like, you are the issue. It's not, right? The systems issue, how can you be an advocate? The second thing, you know, recently, I think The Guardian or The Telegraph released this just last month, because of Andrew Tate and his content online, um, they found that over 50% of men feel that we're doing too much for gender equality, okay? But, and the big part is, nearly 40% of women feel we are too. So a lot of resistance comes from trends, social media, culture, what we are consuming, and how diverse our media input is. So one thing that I've started doing in terms of diversity inclusion is not just going to companies, it's diversifying my reading list. Is watching different things on Netflix, be that even a different language, is learning a different language, is hanging out with new people. It's like getting lost even in London and going down a different alleyway, being like, okay, what's here? It's trying new foods. Diversity inclusion is just not about what the business is doing. It's first and foremost, what are you doing as people? And then the more you become open minded, the more you can help other people in your network too, so too. Already, I'm thinking, I don't know about you guys, but already I'm thinking, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because we do, we, we get stuff in our ways. We have a comfort zone for a reason, right? And we, we do that. But just listen to you there, I'm like, I'm just going to stop talking. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it is true. Um, right, I'm very aware of time, and obviously I'm going to get questions uh, from everyone else. Um, let's talk about like minded females. Um, what, well, basically, what stops you? And you mentioned community. Was that the real reason? Absolutely. The reason I started like my females was because I was a loner. I wasn't proud of it then. I know, but I think it's because I didn't know myself, okay? So a lot of what I'm doing right now is healing and self-love, and it sounds a bit like, oh, airy fairy, it was self-love, hashtag. It's more like I'm accepting the person I am. So I'm sitting here accepting the work that I've done, but also the consequences that come with it, right? So outside people were like, how are you feeling? I was like, I'm the brick of burnout, I am. And it's not, I'm not telling you so you can be like, oh my god, I'm telling you, 
because that shows me how much the journey of you in terms of self-awareness is like, you know what, Sonia, you're getting to your capacity, make sure you start managing it accordingly. That for me is a win, right? So like-minded females actually started because I was in workspaces which I was the one or only, or I was the spotlighted, diverse hire, and so there's a lot of weight put on me. I had no social media, I had no real networks, but I was awfully ambitious. And I think, you know, it's like because I wanted to talk about my managers to people who weren't my manager, right? Because all you know is the people in the workforce and the people in the workplace. And so one of the ways that it really started was I went to this membership club in London and I'm thinking I was like less than 25, right? I think I was like 23, 24. And they, at that point, listen, I've got no disposable income. I want to make this really clear. Today is different. Then they were like, it's £2,000 for the year's membership. I was like, okay, does that include tea and coffee? They're like, no. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, give me some funky tea at the end of it. And I was like, you know what? The honest truth is, I'm not equipped right now where I have £2,000 to be friends. Like, I don't have that kind of extra money, right? So I was like, what's the easiest? So I was like, I have £20. We love a brunch, right? So I literally went to bed, right? I called London Grind. It was like, book a table of eight. I made it a bed, right? Hyped it up, and I was like, oh, thinking of cool names, and my other half, he, he, I know you don't give him credit, but he's like, you never give me credit. He literally was like, oh, what, so you like my females just gonna go and gossip? And I was like, we're not, that's a great name. And then I found that nobody else was called it, and I just created it. And like I said, no one showed up to the first few brunches, by any means, like it was just me. I ordered like, the first brunch, which actually came into the table back away, because I'm like, no one's here. But I never told anyone that no one showed up. So I made up seven different fake profiles, because I was super embarrassed to go home, right? And be like, no one came. But I was like, and the reason it's called LMF Network is because I could do not. When I was changing into a business, and this is where AI and website technology comes in, my people, the same time that my domain was reviewing, so it was my back card. And in that moment, a robot stole my domain. So they sold likemindedfemales.com and then put it on sale for $50,000. So just another hack for you trying to get rich, that's how you get rich with other people. So I had to move from likemindedfemales to NMF Network real quick. So I rebranded. And actually just last month I bought my domain back for £5,000. Thank you. <laughs> but that's, that's the story, that's the journey, right? There was no false intent, there was no other thing. It was just, I'm a bit of a loner. I'm confident, but not as confident as I can be. I want community, but other communities don't serve me. I don't have a lot of disposable income. I'm also a brown woman, so I need to hang out with other people that get being some kind of minority or marginalized person. And at the same time, I want to know how to progress in my career, because actually people in the workplace are gatekeepers, right? Especially when you have bonus structures, where it's like only the top 5% of appraisals get the extra money. But then everyone wants to be the top 5%, and then you don't have a chance. So. A lot of it came from myself. It was never made for this. It was never made for this. It was never made to sit here. It honestly was. I just wanted to be around people that kind of got me and didn't bully me and felt like, you know what? You're a whole vibe and we want to hang out with you more. That was it. What's happened as a consequence is beautiful. But that just shows that if I didn't have that silly little idea, the silliest idea in the world, that none of this would be possible, right? And that's why I'm a big advocate of like, Whatever your silly little idea is, just go do it. Because it could change your life. Because that changed my life. Like, imagine I didn't host a brunch club. Right? That's the wildest thing. Like, imagine I just woke up that one day and saw, I'm not going to show up. My life would be different. See, 
what are you holding back on? And I think that's what I mean by diversity and inclusion. It's not just what's happening in the workspace, it's what are the chances you're taking on yourself and how are you making your dreams, whatever that might be a possibility. Now, my measure of success is not, hey, I was in the police service sampling board last week, because I was, right? That was the whole vibe. My measure of success is someone even recognized me enough that they wanted me to be there. So, small significant steps, really take a risk on yourself and think about how are you focusing on innovation in your everyday lives and then everything else will I think naturally snowball into positive success and if it's not positive in your measure of success you've learned something that's I think that's even cooler. Exactly. So I can talk to you I talk about living right so stop me. Um briefly mentioned but I want to talk about your radio show so BC Asian Network the Everyday Hustle? Yes. Right, so tell us about that. So what, what's that about? Is that for uh, a younger audience? Is that for everyone? Do you know when they started as a pilot, right? So we didn't even think that we'd get to like another term in only two years. And the Everyday Hustle is the first and only business show on the BBC Asian Network. And it's fundamentally, um, actually, isn't it? it's fundamentally to showcase the stories of real ordinary people doing extraordinary things and the way that they've hustled their way into their measure of success, whatever that might be. So you've got people who raise investment all the way to individuals who have failed. You've got individuals who are knocking on doors to get their products into stores, all the way to individuals who are teaching young professionals and young kids about how to be better in the workplace. So it's across industries, across platforms. I think the most exciting thing for me was no one thought it'd be what it would be, including myself, right? But two years in, year one, done, dusted, contract renewed, great, I'm a BBC presenter. Second year, last year we got um, up for an awards and it was like the Asian Media Awards. And I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to win. So I went and booked myself a trip to Kenya. And I was like, listen, there's no way that I'm going to come back because there's no way that we're going to win, okay? Because they were like, oh, we're against like historical, well-known established brands. So I could you notice that 11 p.m. in Kenya, I'm sleeping, right? My producer is at the awards. She's FaceTiming me. I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, we've won. And I was like, how is it the one award show you don't show up to? <laughs> we actually get the award. That's why I won. That's why I won. That. But we last year got best radio show in the country. Right? So we've gone from his idea. We've got myself, who's, you know, the host, our producer, who's also a woman. We are fighting to get the right guests, to get the relevant stories, to make it our own. We are just doing what we do. And then a year and a half later, we get this big accolade. And if anything, it's just reassuring. Not for us, but more about the stories of people matter. And that's what representation is, it's an accent point, right? It's someone's been listening to this hopefully and just if you take away one thing, we've won. That is my measure of success, one thing. So for me, it's half an hour of interviews that come on on BBC Sounds and the BBC Asian Network. And you know what? A lot of the time it's individuals being vulnerable and insecure and honest about their experience because I think entrepreneurship, especially because of tech and through TikTok and trends is glamorized, right? How many videos have we seen? People are like, oh, our day in the life routine. It's like, but what are you doing? You're just drinking coffee all day. Like, how are you making money? You know, like, how do you look so good all day? I, I, you know, it took me a while to, to put on lipstick, otherwise if it was up to me, I would have put on my trackies because that's what you're wearing. So for me, it's about also showing the reality of entrepreneurship. You're gonna fail, you're gonna lose money, you're gonna crash, you're gonna burn out, you're gonna be, you're, you're gonna be your biggest critic. But I think social media gives you a really nice aesthetic and pleasing glamorous part. And a lot of it is fake, right? So it's about like your version of reality 
and then equally find that community to be like, you know what, you've messed up or you've lost. What did you learn from that? So that I know I'm going to lose too. Of course I am. But how do I lose less? How do I lose better? How do I lose kinder? How do I feel kinder to myself? And I 